Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. the ladies who law school podcast i'm sam and i'm Haley. and this week we have a very special episode it's all about legal writing and the power packed paragraph which you will learn if you listen to the episode which you should because we seriously had such a great time recording this and we like got really inspired to be like badass legal writers after this so tune in um and let us know what you think because we always want to know your feedback Yes, guys, please help us welcome our guest. She is the founder of Legal Writing Launch, and she has so much to share. So let's dive in. Please help me welcome our guest, Professor Bev Myers. Hi, Bev. How are you doing today? Doing really well. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Great. We're so happy to have you. So Bev, tell everybody where you went to law school and why. Well, that was about a hundred million years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, um, it's interesting. So my dad was a prosecuting attorney in Detroit, the Detroit area. And I always thought what he did was really interesting. And I was always a very logical person. So I grew up in Detroit. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor for undergrad. Then I moved to California because I just love California. And I moved to San Diego. And then I went to University of San Diego School of Law. And um, I liked it there a lot. It was a very good uh, law school with a really nice vibe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't so super competitive. Um, People would be known to go use the gym and the swimming pool. Yeah. (laughs) it It was a really good place to go. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about your experience at University of San Diego Law? What were some of your struggles and some of your accomplishments while you were there? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, You know, it's interesting because, you know, we all have our insecurities and all that. And um, one of the things that I did, which was, you know, I guess both struggle and accomplishment was... um, I ended up writing on to the law review, so I did not get on with grades, and um, and that was a, a wonderful experience. And then I was um, an editor on the law review, a comments editor. And um, another experience I had there was um, I was on a in a trial competition where we made it all the way to um, the to regionals, and we were the regional champions. And then we went to nationals and 
did not um, uh, place there, but it was kind of fun. We went to Texas, you know, <laughs> and um, um, the other piece is that there was a I, I kind of found my niche in law school in uh, doing trial work and advocacy type of work. And um, I think if it was, I think one of you were talking about wills and estates and, <laughs> and, and the trials and tribulations of that. Um, but if it had just been that, I might have been bored to death, kind of how you guys talked about, you know, <laughs> yeah. the third year they'll bore you. And I have some tips on that, by the way, too. And um, so I did a, they, they started a seminar, it was um, just to test it out on evidence. And it was way, way fun. So I was one of the testers in it. And we got to um, call our own witnesses. And one of the things I did was I found out that the, um, remember the Ted Bundy case, the serial killer that killed all the nurses and all that? Well, the forensic odontologist um, lived in San Diego. So he was retired by then. And I called him out as a witness and I was able to put him on. Oh my God. And it was really interesting because you know what his, his claim to fame was? He was able to testify that a piece of gum that was in Bundy's van had the victim's um, bite marks in it. Isn't that wild? That is wild. It's <laughs> pretty intense. That's like they must the have most that gum so like, Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I found that that was kind of my passion when I was in law school was to do the more practical stuff and more of the trial stuff. But that's not necessarily where my career led me, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. So, so shall I go on? Yes, or, uh, yes. Tell, tell us, us more. Tell us more. What did you do after law school? <laughs> okay. Well, again, in keeping with that, I thought I wanted to do advocacy work and, um, you know, meaning in the courtroom. Um, and so I joined the city attorney's office. And, you know, it's a really great idea for new lawyers to go to a DA's office or PD's office or city attorney and get trial experience. Because no matter um, no matter what you end up doing, if you know how something ends in a trial, then you know how to prepare for trial, right? So, you know, you get used to opening statements and closing arguments, but not just that, preparing your evidence. And so that goes back to discovery, right? Whether it be criminal or civil. So it's a really, really good experience for any of that, for any kind of litigation practice. And so I went to the city attorneys, and I liked it. And I had, um, you know, about 25 jury trials in <laughs> two years. You know? Oh, my gosh. But part of that time was interesting. Um, I had a, uh, there was someone who was on maternity leave, and this was even before I'd got my bar results. So, um, and that was in what they call the appellate division, but it was really motions. And I took over for her, and I just loved it. I love that kind of press of motion work and, you know, figuring things out very quickly, but writing them well. And so um, I ended up staying at the city attorney's office after I passed the bar, did my stint in actually doing trials, and then got in a, a position in the uh, appellate department and wrote a lot of motions. Then I've had kind of an interesting career. I went to... Um, Private practice briefly hated that, hated every minute of it. It was all about just money. You know yeah. what I mean? And and after you're dealing with, you know, governmental entity where sometimes you have like First Amendment issues or Fourth Amendment issues and then, you know, you're talking about like 
you know, discovery. They didn't in, respond to interrogatory number 36. You know, then you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, just shoot me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then ultimately, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, when you were in private practice, what law did you practice? And did you do it by yourself or were you at a firm or how was that? That was a good question. It was a small firm and it was, um, ah, strangely enough, employment law and uh, <laughs> some part. And um I like that okay. I, you know, it felt like a little too much drama for me. I know that's something that that you like, Haley. But um, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like you know, you had to figure out who all the players were Absolutely. and who was treating someone poorly and why. And did you really care? You know, at the end of the day, I just didn't care that yeah. much. Yes. So. No, totally. But anyway, um, it also was insurance bad faith, which was interesting at the time. You know, so you're kind of going after these insurance companies that are hurting people and some personal injury. And um, it just wasn't my cup of tea, you know, because at the end of the day, it's always about just money. It's not about like a more interesting result. Of course. And then, um, yeah. And then uh, from there, I went to a DA's office in San Mateo and did that for about a year. So that, again, is jury trials and a lot of um, misdemeanor preliminary hearings. And that's a really good way to, you know, cut your trial skills, too, by having these mini evidentiary hearings. And then I made my way to the attorney general's office, and I was there for almost 30 years. So. Wow. So can you give us a breakdown of, like, what a day-to-day looks like at the AG's office? Like, what are you doing all day? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a good question. So where I ended up for the bulk of my career was in a section called Health, Education, and Welfare. And what I really liked about it was a lot of policy work, and we defended the government primarily. We did some plaintiff work as well. But um, I also ran the law student program there, and that's what I just adored. You know what I mean? Where students would come in, I would hire them, and they'd work in the summer. We usually have three. And then we have them during the school year. Harvard, Yale, Stanford, um, University of San Francisco, Golden Gate University. I did not discriminate. Nice. <laughs> they on law school. And, um, and then they would write motions, you know, for our practice. Yeah. And then I'd supervise them in, uh, in court on the motions. Awesome. And they'd assist me in trials as well. So, uh, you know, I did a lot of mentoring that way. I really enjoyed it. But so let's see, that practice was kind of twofold, mostly Um, the sort of day to day trial work aspect of it. So I was lucky. I got to do trial work and a lot of writing. Yeah. Okay. And lawyers don't always get to do that. So the trial work I did was on behalf of the Commission on Teacher Credentialing. So I would go after a teacher who um, sexually molested a student. And I would seek to revoke their credential. But we'd have to put on a whole evidentiary hearing. And it would be, you know, for instance, one one, uh, teacher had groomed a student by, you know, in a ridiculous way, writing letters to her, which, of course, she kept. Of course. (laughs) That was all evidence in the case. You know what I mean? And so students would also put on those um, cases. You know what I mean? They would put on witnesses or they put on an entire case and I would supervise them. And I loved it. They loved it, you know. And um, and then um, the, where we wrote more was we had a lot of really big cases. We had a high school exit, California high school exit exam as a graduation requirement, and whether that violated, you know, um, 
minorities' That's rights, you know, equal protection, things yeah. like that. And then we also had um, other really big cases, like, you know, since I was there for almost 30 years, I dealt with when uh, the Medicaid program, which is called Medi-Cal, so that's the program for the poor, as opposed to Medicare's for the elderly. Mm-hmm. When the California Medi-Cal program started placing uh, their patients into managed care and whether that was legal or not legal and the way in which they did it, you know, could they, did they have to do it where they just automatically placed them in managed care or did they have to put them in some in fee for service? And, you know, a lot of things where you learn a lot about a certain type of program. So there was a lot of writing, you know, I've, I've filed briefs in the Supreme court, California Supreme court. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful career. And then during that entire time, I was pretty much the entire time, I was a law professor. So I loved it. And, you know, I really recommend to people, too, to think outside of the box about careers. You yeah. know, so instead of just thinking, okay, I got to join this firm and work here forever yeah. and have what we call the golden handcuffs, you know, where yes. you can't leave. Yes. Um, think about other ways of patching together a fulfilling legal experience and a mix, you know, good, good life work balance. Yeah. And so I was always a, a part-time professor and uh, and a full-time lawyer, and it managed to work out. And so then um, I still do that. I teach at John F. Kennedy School of Law and um, teach part, part-time as an adjunct. And then I, in uh, really 2020, developed my own business called Legal Writing Launch, which is an intensive legal writing course. And it seems to be helping uh, the most. The the biggest population of students I get are new lawyers. And I think it's because there just isn't enough one-to-one mentoring out there. Yeah. Is that how you guys feel about it too? Absolutely. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm lucky to have, you know, a yeah. solid mentor, but it's pretty hard to find them. Like, you know, people don't want to meet for coffee even, or, or they just don't know, even want to read your writing or, or even, yeah. and talk about it, you know? So. Well, that's the biggest problem. And, and I remember when I went to the AG's office before that, you know, God knows I filed all kinds of briefs, you know, oppositions to motions to suppress evidence and all the criminal law um, departments that I was in. And I, you know, if anybody changed one word on it, I would have been lucky. You know what I mean? So yeah. I got no, no supervision. I went to the AG's office, and they're perfectionists. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and it was a, it was a little hard to take at first. Yeah. You know, but then you start writing the way they're teaching you to write. Yeah. And then your writing is a whole different plane, whole different plane. I just want to know everything. Like, I want to be a great legal writer. I mean, mm-hmm. I can already see myself using your program. And when I get out, just because, like we said, I don't have a really super strong mentor. I am just constantly working at different parts of my legal writing and research. So, what do you say? And like, what is your ultimate? call to action for people using, you know, your, your program? Is it to learn how to write better? Is it to learn how to write at a certain level? Is it just a mentoring situation? You know, can you just tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, Haley, that's a, that's a great question. So um, it's really all of that. 
And so um, let me just tell you about how I built it. Okay. And I built it based upon all of my experience coming together. And I noticed that the students that I mentored, you know, as law students, and then the students that I taught, that um, they didn't understand what I call the power-packed paragraph. And that's where you take IRAC per issue mm-hmm. and develop it strictly using IRAC. Now, I use a different version of that. I use, I prefer crack. <laughs> that's conclusion, rule analysis, and conclusion. And all that means is that instead of your topic sentence uh, being a question, mm-hmm. did Joe Schmo uh, commit negligence when he ran through the red light and hit our client? Um, instead of saying that each time, you just say it affirmatively. Yeah. Joe Schmo committed negligence when he ran through a red light and hit in our client. And then, um, you know what IRAC is, so, but I, I, I profess a very strict use of it. Okay. And I find that what happens with people is that they mix all the issues together mm-hmm. or elements mm-hmm. together. And, um, and so I have them unwind all that and really take like, okay, if we're going to talk about a, uh, the neighbor's garage was, uh, was broken into and beer was stolen, and now our client is the defendant and is being charged with that by the DA's office. Um, well, you know, the first element to analyze is breaking and entering. So, in other words, we'll define burglary. You know, perhaps we'll say in a topic sentence. Well, if we're let's let's just go element by element, just really quickly. But if we're talking about breaking and entering, then we would say um, our our client arguably committed, uh, uh, our client arguably broke and entered when he um, broke into the neighbor's garage window um, and then removed three cases of beer, okay? So, um, and then I would say next, okay, what's our rule? Okay, well, uh, let's say we've already defined burglary above, okay? Now we go to breaking and entering is, and we define that. And then we mix in our facts and then we draw a conclusion about it. Now, the beauty of taking crack so literally is that let's say you're turning that same problem into a memo. Then, as soon as you said what the prosecution's argument can be, then immediately you can say what the defense argument will be. Counter-argument, Defense yeah. will counter-analysis, yeah. right? The defense will argue that the mere fact that our client... Uh, possessed uh, beer, or we will argue if this is what we're talking about, that our and the window, the neighbor's window was broken, isn't enough to show that it was our client that actually did the breaking and entering, actually broke the window, right? So, um, and then we could say like a likely conclusion about that element, okay? But um, but you see how you're then allowed to go really methodically. And um, it seems like, oh, yeah, I get it. But I think people, um, they go too uh, glibly through it. And it really needs to be that. And then the other piece I'll tell you, and one of my colleagues and good friends that I interviewed for Legal Writing Launch is a judge, Jim Humes. And um, I said to him, two things stand out in my mind. I, I have a blog at my website, www.legalwritinglaunch, L-E-G-A-L. W-R-I-T-I-N-G-L-A-U-N-C-H dot com. And I'm saying that because 
this might pick it up as legal writing lunch. (laughs) 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 And then I get, I get no juju from that. Right. (laughs) Right. But what Jim said that was really helpful is, you know, two things. One is, you know, the, the most important part of real estate and anything you write, what do you think it might be? I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm not, this is not the Socratic. Jesus, right. You yeah. just got back from our break. What are you talking about? Right. I did not prepare um, for this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the introduction. Yes. Yes. Okay. That and why sense. is the introduction so important? It's so important because that's your primary real estate. You're very lucky, you're very likely to lose your reader shortly after that. Introduction, yeah, totally. So the important thing, too, about the introduction is that you want to make it like an abstract of a law review article. You want to make it a mini argument. You don't necessarily need your citations and that kind of thing, but you want to make it a really commonsensical, complete analysis. As to as opposed to what I learned in law school was like, I'm going to talk about breaking and entering, and then I'm going to talk about uh, <laughs> dwelling, and I'm going to talk about intent to steal instead of I'm, I'm uh, otherwise I'm going to say here, you know, the prosecution will likely argue that the uh, garage is a dwelling because it's right next to you know whatever the factors are right, and um, so so your introduction is really critical, and then the other piece he said, which I thought was really interesting, is. I think you don't know how much you should edit your work. The best work is in your editing. Okay? That's where you clean it up. That's where you you make it truly amazing. And you shouldn't have one extra word in there. And you should be incredibly proud of it. I said to Jim, you know, uh, Judge Justice Humes, how many drafts usually do on a written opinion? He says, oh, I don't know, about 20. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. He wasn't kidding, was he? You guys are adorable. <laughs> Your faces was like, what the? I don't know if I've ever done 20 drafts. No, but seriously. You're not expected to, but but don't think you should just do one draft. Yeah. Don't think you should do two. I mean, I can tell you in practice at the Attorney General's office, I get a uh, motion for a temporary restraining order, and I had to file a brief the next day, you know, and I had to bring it into court with me. But does that mean because I didn't have time, that meant that, you know, it'd be kind of crappy and it'd just be a first draft? No, I was up late that night. You know, I probably wrote five drafts, you know, just to get it right. I mean, we're in this profession. We have to get it right. Yeah. So I want to talk more about the power pact paragraph because we have recently been learning as we get ready for the bar that breaking it down in that crack format and really covering each element is just like you said, a better way of legal writing. And, um, you know, it's, it, we always talk about handholding the reader, you know, through your, through your thoughts. And do you think that using that method and breaking it down like that is, is better in that way? And that's why it's a successful way to write. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. 
Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go, whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. So you're raising a couple of really good questions there. Um, I do not know how they write, how they teach you to write for the bar. In other words, I don't know if they tell you that you write, um, you know, a heading for like your issue, and then you write a heading for your rule or your analysis. You know, I don't know. And that's what your bar review course will tell you. But you call it handheld holding, right? Mm -hmm. For the reader. Mm -hmm. I call them hit the reader over the head with it. Love it. (laughs) That's even better. Yeah. (laughs) Where they can't deny what you're saying. Yeah, they can't deny. Yeah. Right. But all I'm saying is I'm talking about that structure Mm -hmm. and it won't fail you if you use it. And I can't tell you how many papers I edit for my students in legal writing launch and as a law professor where they're missing steps. If you don't miss a step in IRAC or crack, you're going to be fine. And then the other piece I would recommend to people is, um, this happens sometimes when people don't understand what they're writing, is they're just like writing, 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 right? And you, you'll never do well with that. At some point, you have to understand what the key tension is. At some point, you have to get your takeaways. Like, oh, okay, so for the uh, burglary problem, um, hmm, is it going to be really the equivalent of receiving stolen property? Or is it going to be that he um, actually broke and entered into the house and then that's, that's a burglary, right? But you can't just go through the motions and write, you know. And, I mean, you can start that way. We all have to. When I would write a brief uh, and a client would say, hey, you know, we're going to win, we're going to win. And I would say, you know, I don't know. I have to write it first. And then as I started writing, and then I'd get to a point where I couldn't counter something, then I would call them up and say, I've got a real problem here. I think we should settle. You know, I just, I can't mm. come up with anything right here, you know. Mm-hmm. So the only way through tip. it is through it. Yeah. Only way through it is through it. And And just working through the problem. And I think... Um, I'm working on my moot court argument and everything right now. And I love that you say you just have to work through it and you have to understand it and really narrow down the issue that you are arguing and that's at debate. Because it's like you said, you know, in every legal 
rule, there are multiple elements and multiple things that we could debate about. And I think, uh, just like what you said about just writing, I think whenever I was one L and I first did my exams, <laughs> they, w- they would, t- uh, professors would say, you know, it's like a stream of consciousness, like don't do that. And right. yeah. And, right. and, and as more as I've learned, I've realized, okay, breaking it down for them, it's easier on you and it's easier on the reader because just like you said, you don't forget parts of crack when you break it down by each sub issue. You have to make it super easy for the reader. In fact, you know, God, I did Medicaid law for years, you know, and my God, some of this stuff was absolutely mind numbing, you know, but you would actually have to put up what the math is, you know, you can't expect the reader to do any of it. So let me answer one other point. You said you got your moot court coming up. Um, When we prepared for oral argument in the Court of Appeal, we talked a lot about rocks. So in other words, rocks that you would come back to. So, um, you know, have like four or five rocks so that um, no matter where the argument went, you could come back to this, to those, those places and figure out what they are. And also remember that those are going to encompass your tension. So it's, in other words, it's the tension between your position and the other side's position and then how you're right about it. Mm, Your rocks. I love that. So going along with, you know, making it easier on the reader, essentially being short and sweet and to the point. Um, so what about when you see writing with like a lot of legalese and like big words? Um, what do you say? What do you say to that? You know, I sh- cut it out. <laughs> okay, good. Red line. Just, I just want to highlight there because, you know, I think a lot of one L's when they first are writing, you know, they want to put in all the big words yeah. and all the legal sounding stuff that sounds cool. But it's so true that the more simple, the more straightforward, like mm-hmm. I had to learn that through my one L to two L jump, yeah. you know, I learned how to essay right. Yeah. Let me mention about that, though. It's not a small thing to get to short and sweet. It takes a lot of work to get to it. Right? That's where your drafts come in to get to that point where something reads really well and is really, really logical. And I will say about my course, too, whatever level you're at, you can go to the next level. So let's say you're a competent writer. Okay, you use Iraq crack. Okay, use it well enough, but you're not very interesting. Well, well, then let's work with you with your style. Let's take your style up a notch. Let's have you start a sentence with a gerund instead. You know, running is fun because, you know, and um, because who are the best writers? I mean, if you look at Chief uh, Justice Roberts, he's a fine, fine writer. Ginsburg. Justice former Justice Ginsburg was an amazing writer. Why? Not because of all the legalese, but the way to get to the main point. That's it. So I guess I'm, I don't know. Short and sweet is the word, but um, but I think it's it's clarity. It's defining the issues, understanding the issues deeply, so you can reduce them to their essence and then name that tension. I love that. Yeah, I'm going to get that little blurb out of this. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and preach so that good. all day, every yeah, day. Yeah, because it's so true. I totally see that. Like, you know, just yeah. long, drawn out, like, ten, brief sentence paragraph, yeah. you know. Some of it is comical. You know, yes. it's absolutely comical. Um, yes. one, of things, <laughs> yeah. one of the things that I teach is um, t- 
to not be so concerned about quoting word for word, but instead summarize your point. And um, as long as you have the citation there, you're fine. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think as 1Ls or new lawyers, people are like, oh, I'm going to be you know, accused of plagiarism or whatever. Right. You know, because if, the, if your citation is there, it's just fine. It's cited. But you're you know, good. Yeah. yeah. In my class, in my course in Legal Writing Lunch, you know, there was an example from uh, a definition of armed, ro- armed bank robbery. And it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It goes on for like five lines without a period, you know, <laughs> but it's like, am I going to let anybody use that definition? No way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also thinking like on a final or on the bar exam, like how could you even remember five sentences worth of a rule? You know, it's just, I you feel, can't. And, and I think what you mean by short and sweet is mm-hmm. very, just get, like you said, right. to clarity, to the point, however that looks for you, you know, and I, I, I don't know if this is right, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I feel like sure. as a law student, you first learn how to write. And then as you become a new lawyer, you're learning more and more what you didn't maybe learn in law school stylistically. You're learning these next steps. And as you go through practice, that's when you really can be uh, a, turn into a good writer. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's so many times now where we read current lawyers briefs and like We're you said like, it's what what I like don't how understand. did they how, how are they practicing yeah and i think <laughs> yeah and we there's just lots of that yeah there's a lot of that now that's a really really good point haley i think that um basic writing you know what i mean basic writing and how to write things in a commonsensical way and you know as we're talking about to um to get to the tension. And I think that, um, yeah, people just, they write too much, you know, and they don't figure out what's the bottom line here. I mean, one of the things that you, I think you're going to find really, uh, uh, two things. One thing I think you're going to find really, um, significant as you go through is, um, how, important it is to be really logical. And as you start off and you're going to be like a litigator, let's say, and you're doing motion practice, you get to oral argument and there's a tentative ruling. And the tentative ruling is like a page and a half. And you've each filed 15 page briefs. But the judge is right. Because the judge is just saying, is this what I'm supposed to be following? You know, is this what, you know, and the judge is right. And it could be filled in. And of course, if it goes up on appeal, then it's going to be, you know, fleshed out further. But my other point, too, is that um, when you start in law school, you're really getting into that whole um, deductive reasoning, you know, and that type of uh, practice. I mean, the only thing that I think is closest to it in undergrad is um, logic. And math, you know, um, otherwise we don't really know it. So it's a stretch in law school to just get ourselves into that kind of really organized um, logical reasoning. And then when you start practice, um, you're, you know, you're, you're insecure and you're looking at other sample briefs and all that, and you're trying so hard. And then eventually you get in a groove where you find your own style too. But, um, the styles that are really the, the most impressive, you know, the, um, you know, the, the real champions in, um, legal, the legal world, um, are ones that are really pretty commonsensical. 
they're pretty commonsensical. You know what I mean? Like if you listen to oral argument, even in front of the um, Supreme Court, you know, let's say on an abortion issue or something like that, um, there's still ways where everybody's really talking to each other, you know, and it's because they understand that minuscule issue that they're talking about at that time. So there's these ways that you have to wrap your arms around issues. After everything you've said, I've just clicked for me. You have to understand what you're writing about. I mean, at the end of the absolutely, at, and like you said, the tensions and everything that goes into the argument, and that's why the saying that you're the most prepared in the, in the courtroom for when it's your time to argue because you have to be. And I think when we laugh about other briefs and people, I think over time people give up. They don't work as hard. They get tired and they go out through their career. But in reality, it's hard work. Like you said, to make it short, to make it clarified and everything that takes work. It's not just That's one draft. Exactly. Don't think it's the work to go get remote law review articles and hunt everything down. It's not that. It's the opposite of that. I mean, if it's necessary, it's constitutional issue, you know, whatever. But mostly it's not that. It's to really understand the heart of the issue, what the other side's saying, what you're saying, you know, what the judge can and can't do, and reduce it to that. Yeah. And I think that just takes reading and understanding mm-hmm. and it's just and practice practice. Yeah. Visiting those issues. And I, I guess that's why when people, lawyers get into a niche area of law, they really run with that because once you've learned it a couple of times, you know, you, you feel like you're the expert in it. So it makes sense. Well, it's amazing how quickly somebody makes you an expert too. When I was in <laughs> doing Medicaid law, I had one case involving bankruptcy, and you know, I spent all this time going through horn books and understanding it. And da-da. well, then I was the Medicaid bankruptcy expert. You know what I mean? You're like, whoops! Yeah, <laughs> I know. But I will say, it's kind of interesting along this line is um, to really understand something. Um, you might need to go to other sources than you think. In other words, and if you don't understand, let me take both of those. And if you don't understand something right away, just keep writing. Okay. Keep writing until you understand it. And I usually start with the power pack paragraph about kind of all my issues. And then they turn into separate paragraphs per issue. And then I flesh them out. And I go back and write my introduction after that. Um, but to understand something, something that's really foreign to you, I mean, I've had students that just never understand it. You know what I mean? It's clear they don't understand it. And, you know, they're no good to anybody when they do that, you know. But go go look up, um, go look it up in, you know, Wikipedia. Go look it up somewhere. Whatever it takes, go look it up at the agency's, you know, website. If it's Medicaid law, you know, what is the what is the Medicaid rule on it? What what are the what's the directive that they've given out about it, about, you know, these people that required, you know, st- skilled nursing facility care in their own home, you know, things like that. Do whatever it takes to understand it. And it may not be just like more and more cases, you know. 
No, or, yeah, I, I do that at yeah. work because I'm, like, looking up civil rights, like, 1983 stuff right now, and I had no idea. I had to ask you. I was like, what am I looking up right now? And I was on YouTube, <laughs> Wikipedia, all firm Absolutely. websites t- telling me, like, blogs. Yeah, yeah, blogs that break it down. Yeah. And it helped me understand it, and then I could go into the cases and, and be like, okay, yeah. I know what they're talking about. Absolutely. So, I, you know, the Brianna Taylor case, the George Floyd family lawsuits, those are all 1982, 1983 cases. You know what I mean? And uh, right. So that's how you understand it. Like, there may be a underlying federal cause of action, but what allows somebody to sue is section 1983. And, you know, I, I know this because we did that kind of work. Mm-hmm. We defended it a lot. Oh, yeah. I was, I was about to say, like, when we were talking about being at the AG's office, I was like, I saw a lot of that when I was researching today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yep. In fact, I, you know, here's my picture with Kamala Harris back there. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's I so love cool. that. Yeah. I worked with uh, five different AGs while I was there for almost 30 years, and she was the last one. That I worked wow. with before. I retired really cool. in 2016. Yeah. Very so. cool. I have a question just kind of circling back to you being a professor because I kind of wanted to ask it before and it just, I didn't have the chance. But how, like, if a law student is thinking, I kind of would like to be an adjunct or a professor, like, what are some steps that sh- they should be taking to start going down that path? Well, that's a really good, good question. Um, I think start, um, talking to their professors about what their paths have been. And then um, probably really not going to be ready to do that until you've been out for a few years, if you want to be an adjunct. I think it's a whole different road if you want to be like a full-time professor, and that might require, you know, getting a master's and all that. Um, But, uh, you know, get your expertise going first, and then see See, uh, see if you can reach out to people that you may know that are adjuncts and, um, and see, ask them about getting in somewhere because they frequently are looking for adjuncts, but usually want a little bit of experience from somebody in perhaps an area where, that they can teach in. You know, for instance, they might want to um, get somebody who's done administrative law and can actually create a course on administrative law. That makes sense. Okay, and I want to ask you a question about the AG's office. You talked about hiring law students, and you know you didn't discriminate where they went to school, which I love to hear that. But whenever you were looking at their resumes, interviewing them, the whole process, what were some of the things that stood out to you when you selected candidates, and what are some of the things that you were like, please don't ever do this again? Let me let me talk about the latter first because it's kind of funny. I went to a meeting once at Stanford and we were talking about um, selecting law students um, and hiring them and that kind of thing. And we just started laughing about law students' cover letters, right? And to me, if somebody had like mistakes in their cover letter, like poor grammar or typos or whatever, it kind of, I, you know, I might not even put it at the, in the pile at all. Um, some people have to be careful about what they say. Like one person wanted to work at the, um, oh, I don't know, maybe it was the Sierra Club or something like that. And they started off by saying, the earth is our mother. <laughs> You're like, uh, like, oh, I don't know God. if this is the right move. <laughs> You're like, this is 
is a different vibe. Yeah, <laughs> not, not for this office. Not for the cover letter. Say, at the end of the day, we're human beings too. You know what I mean? It was pretty funny, you know. Yeah. So, so there was that. Um, and then let's see what I would look for. Um, God, we I kind of had my pick of all of it because we had a lot of students in the Bay Area, you know, that uh, were from all these fantastic schools. Um, but I would look at a variety of things because I wouldn't want to just, uh, to me, frankly, grades were not that important. You know, um, if they are to you, you know what I mean, and you have that to show, then show it. But otherwise, like anything you excel at, you know, so... Um, like I said, I did trial competitions. I was a, you know, a comments editor where I wrote on. Um, yeah, anything along, even your hobbies are interesting. I mean, there was a time when, you know, I think somebody was like a professional chef. And of course, I thought that was fascinating. You know, I mean, that was cool. <laughs> and um, and then I would say, uh, too, um, in an interview to really bring yourself to the interview, you know, don't be so nervous about it. I mean, I remember one woman that I actually ended up hiring. She was the first candidate at Stanford one time and, um, and she was wonderful. And, uh, like I said, we ended up hiring her for as a summer clerk and, um, but she was like so serious, you know, and then finally she laughed about something and she really laughed about it. And I was like, okay, you're hired. <laughs> you're like, okay. You're, you you're can okay. talk a joke. I know that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you need to know that you can talk to people in the office. You know, I mean, when I coordinated the law student program at the AG's office in my section, which was health, education, and welfare, I mean, we took the students every year to the San Francisco Giants baseball game. You know, and, um, you know, we wanted to know that people were going to come and that they were going to have a good time and we were comfortable with each other. And we all went out and drank beer afterward. And, you know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, so you want to make sure that you bring your whole package to something. Absolutely. That's such great advice. Well, thank you so much for all of this. I mean, I feel like I just want to use this course right after I take it. I know. I was about to say, I need to work on my style because I'm definitely the person who's looking at sample briefs 24 <laughs> 7, like not yeah. knowing like how to write. So, and it just makes me feel more comfortable to know that over time we will get better, get better. We've and got this. with work. And we're not afraid Absolutely. of hard work. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I can see that you both are going to be excellent lawyers. Thank I you so tell. much, Thank Beth. You. Yeah, so can, can you tell everybody where they can find your program when they are ready to try it? Yep. Just um, go online, go to www.legalwritinglaunch.com. And uh, we have three different levels of cor- of the course. One is just all electronic so that there's, you know, uh, lecture notes and videos. And if people are really busy, they can simply just watch the videos. You know, they're like four minutes each. And they're all on topics like you'd want to know. They're practical things. And also, um, it grows in terms of difficulty. So you start with like a power pack paragraph, and then you do two legal memos, one with question presented format, the other with the introduction, discussion, conclusion format. You do a, a demand letter, and you do an opinion letter. In the demand letter, you tell the um, particularly uh, particular county council to stop barring our client, a punk rock band from 
playing within the city limits because of their lyrics criticizing the city council. So it's you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Then you do a motion to suppress evidence and then you finally do an appellate brief where there, with references to the record. And, um, and then there are two other levels. One is just uh, the assignment editing that I mentioned just now where students would work directly with me. And then the highest level, which I really recommend to everybody, is to work with me on Zoom. So you write one of these assignments, and then you submit it to me, and I edit it, and then we meet about it. And so then we can look at your trajectory. What are you doing consistently that's problematic, you know, and how can we correct it? What are you doing systematically that's good? And I will say students have unbelievable progress doing this process, unbelievable progress, where they, you know, start from... um, being a bit of a, a mess, you know, and then and then they are tight by the end. They are oh, tight. I love, I love to hear that. Yeah, me too. I'm just like drooling. I know. I'm I like, want okay, it. yeah, yeah. Me too. Well, take it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'd love to have you both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Bev, and we really appreciate having you on today. Okay, my pleasure. Okay, thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. gosh, guys, I want to join her program stat. I want to become a super strong legal writer. I know that as I'm currently writing my moot court brief, I realize legal writing is a little bit, I realize that legal writing is a little bit of a struggle for me. Even though I'm a 3L, it's just one of those learning curves that you have to go through as a young lawyer. So I think Bev is a person I want to join up with and learn everything she has to share. And I love the idea of being able to do one-on-one sessions and talk with her more about my writing, you know, and also just like before the bar, if this is, you know, anyone listening, that's a younger law student, I think you should jump on this stat. If you're a 1L and you haven't written your brief or your trial brief or anything like that, run, (laughs) go join this program because you're going to boost your grade. I guarantee you. And if you're a little bit older law student or a lawyer practicing, you know, this is a great chance. This is a great chance to uh, sharpen your skills. Especially, you know, practice makes perfect. And the more you write, the better you'll get. So it's a great way to just build your skills, you know. And also, even if you don't think you're going to be doing a lot of writing for some reason in your career, you never know if you might have to. So. Absolutely, guys. Well, as always, make sure and follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Also join our Facebook group. And if you have any questions or any thoughts about our episodes, don't be afraid to email us, slide in our DMs and give us that feedback. All right, guys, stay safe out there. Wash your hands, sanitize and wear your mask. Bye. Bye.